0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Are you one of those people that's constantly reaching for your phone, even when you're with someone? Like out at dinner, hanging with friends, in bed with your partner? Fubbing. It's snubbing someone for your phone. And it's definitely annoying, but how damaging is it for your relationships? G'day, it's Dave Marchese with you for the Hack Podcast. Later you're going to hear about some pretty thorough research into this very modern dilemma – also, we're checking in on what's happening in Iran. Death sentences have started being handed down to protesters there. Kylie Moore Gilbert, the Australian who was held in jail in Iran for years, is going to join us soon. But first, the floods. Hack. All across New South Wales, there's not a river system at the moment that's not in flood or communities at risk. On Triple J. Yeah, all year we've seen horrible scenes out of flood-ravaged parts of Australia. And after a year of intense rain, the East Coast cannot take any more water. There's nowhere for it to go, so even a little bit of rain is having devastating consequences. In the New South Wales Central West, entire communities are underwater right now, flood records have been smashed, a body of a woman's been found in flood waters, and searches are now underway for others. Things just seem to be getting worse. I want to check in. Let's go to ABC News reporter Hamish Cole in the Central West. Hamish, thanks for jumping on. You've been out in these flood-affected communities for the past few days. What are some of the worst-affected areas?
2: Yeah, one of the ones that's really been badly affected, as we've seen, is Yugara, where there's scenes similar to what we saw in Lismore earlier this year, with uh, homes being lifted off their their structures and washed down streets. It's really disturbing to see, to be honest. There's a, a, you know hundreds of families in that area will be feeling the effects of this for months and really years to come. That that town it will take a long time to recover. You uh, know. In infrastructure sense and mentally as well that the recovery effort and people still still missing in flood waters And unfortunately, earlier today, uh, police believe they've found the body of 60-year-old Diana Smith, who's been missing since Monday. Just, you know, these are some of the the, the things that this community will have to deal with in the coming days. But elsewhere, I've been in Condoblin, where they've been experiencing major flooding for a number of weeks now and have seen the Lachlan River exceed uh, the 1952 record by quite some margin – Uh, and the destruction for Forbes, which is a community only recovering from uh, flood uh, record peaks from from two weeks ago, they're they're seeing some of the the worst flooding people have ever seen in their lifetime. So it's just across the Central West, it's a real catastrophic situation.
1: And the thing is, in Australia, we've been seeing so much flooding across the whole year, right? Like there's just been uh, pictures all over the news. Everyone's familiar with those scenes, but still, this is really dramatic. What are locals telling you about how they're coping with it all?
2: There's a real sense of fatigue and just despair and helplessness about the situation. A lot of people are making comparisons to the bushfires when, you know, you can you can just see what's about to hit you and there's nothing you can do. And that's the thing that I think is so challenging for so many people that they they just watch as their homes uh, their livelihoods get get washed away, uh, which is just the the heartbreaking thing about this all. For a town like Forbes, for the last twelve months, they've experienced about four or five major flood events, and these are events that are that are hitting, you know, records. We're talking about times when you when you speak with residents, oh, they're saying normally you get these every twenty years. Now it's every two weeks for some people in Forbes, which is. The mental toll that that takes on people is is just incredible, and for a lot of people, speaking with some of them, that they just said they they can't take it anymore, and they they are looking at how they can leave how they can leave these areas where they've lived their entire life, which is is just heartbreaking what this has brought about for them. Let's have a listen to one person who
1: you spoke to earlier. Oh, it's a bit a bit overwhelming.
2: I think I've done three nights, no sleep. You know, that, that's a bit, you get, you get that. Um, but, yeah, she'll be
1: right. <sighs> that's so heartbreaking to listen to. You can just hear the anguish in his voice. Um, you're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with ABC journalist Hamish Cole about the devastating floods hitting parts of New South Wales right now. Hamish, do locals feel like they're getting enough support?
2: Yeah, in Condoblin, one of the things, speaking with local authorities, there was just this sense that where where is the help where 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 is the resources coming from because they were so stretched to the point in condoblen that uh, i think it was wednesday night that local residents were required to assist SES crews uh with uh flood rescues at about 1am in the morning which is not a situation that anyone wants to be in where the SES says was so uh, far stretch that we need people who don't have the the training to be to be helping us. Uh, that's that's raised some questions on the ground from locals as to particularly in Kondobbin, where they're downstream of the the Lachlan River quite, by quite a considerable margin. They're going through this terrible situation, and they're just questioning where where is the support, where are the the boots on the ground. You know, for, for that this afternoon, they, they ran out of petrol, uh, the the local uh, supermarkets are out of milk, and they're running low on necessities like water supply. These are basic things that people people need that they don't have access to because of the, the situation with the flooding, cutting roads mm-hmm. off. So it really is just a, a dire situation in places like Condoblin, and it's a similar story throughout the Lachlan River across the Central West. And I guess there's this fear
1: as well that Australia's been witnessing so many floods this year. There's a fear that maybe the country's not paying as much attention now when things are
2: catastrophic in, in this region. There's just so much destruction elsewhere that people are getting just swept up in this and, and their stories are being lost in it, in a sense, because it's just so widespread. Uh, it's And just the, the way the Lachlan is moving at the moment with the amount of water flowing down it, it's just... The, the devastation is widespread. You know, we saw the scenes on Monday of Molong where the main street, almost every business was was inundated with high extreme floodwaters. And that just seems like a, a lifetime ago that we were seeing that. It's just moved so quickly, this water down down the river and with it the, the news cycle.
1: And Hamish, any idea when things are going to start to
2: improve? that's that's the concern with this la nina weather pattern that you know there's there's already forecast for some some thunderstorms on saturday night for these communities that are already drenched there's there's no real end in sight for this for this flooding speak particularly for in condoblin where they're going through this record flood and they haven't even seen the water that forbes is is experiencing at the moment uh, it's just the way it's moving the way it's flowing that people just They don't know when it's going to end and they don't know how they're going to cope with the coming months.
1: Horrible stuff. We appreciate your insight into it. You've been out there speaking to locals. You're covering this every day. ABC News reporter Hamish Cole, thanks so much for joining us on Hack.
2: Thanks for having me. Cheers.
1: Hack on Triple J. And on the text line, Reese says, All of my families in the New South Wales central west. Some had to evacuate, but luckily no damage. I feel horrible for you, Gowra. Look, we will keep you up to date with the flood emergency that's happening there in the weeks ahead. There's plenty more news that's going to be coming out of New South Wales in the next few days. Hack.
3: More than 30 Iranian officials and organisations have now been put on the EU sanctions list.
1: On Triple J. Yeah, it's two months since massive protests kicked off in Iran. They started after the death of 22-year-old Masa Armeni. She was arrested for allegedly not complying with the country's hijab rules. Her family says she was beaten by police. And We've been checking in on Iran over the past couple of months, but you might have noticed more and more stuff on your social feeds. Sometimes it's hard to know what's true. Like, there was a big one going around at the moment saying 15,000 protesters have been sentenced to death. Even Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was tweeting about it. But fact-checkers have said that's not true, and Mr Trudeau later deleted the tweet. But we do know that the first death sentence has been handed down to a protester this week, and heaps of people are behind bars. Well, let's talk to someone who has a really deep understanding of what it's like to be in jail in Iran. Australian academic Dr Kylie Moore Gilbert spent more than 800 days in an Iranian prison. You'll remember we spoke to her earlier this year when she released a book and she's with us now. Hey Kylie, welcome back to Hack.
3: Hey Dave, thanks for having me on.
1: Firstly, as someone who's faced the brutality of Iran's legal system, what do you think when you see so many young people in particular protesting in Iran months on from those initial protests?
3: I think they're incredibly brave. I'm just in awe of all of the Iranian people protesting on the streets today. We know um, more than 15,000 people have been arrested for protesting, um, which is probably where that misinfo figure came from. Um, and I believe two have now been sentenced to death and you know another 1,000 are currently on, um, on trial or in the process of being charged. So it's really frightening. Um, we've had more than 300 people killed on the streets so far as well, including more than 50 children and um, the fact that despite all of that, these people are still going out to protest day in, day out uh, is is just remarkable to me.
1: There is a lot of information flying around on social media and some of it has been proven to not be true. Is it likely, though, that we will see mass death sentences? If we've seen some people sentenced to death already, is that likely to continue?
3: Yes, it is likely to continue. We probably will see more than than two individuals sentenced to death uh, in the last wave of protests, um, which was almost two years ago to this day. Um, we, we had um, one person, Navid Afkari, a, a protester who was uh, infamously executed. Actually, when I was in prison, he was executed um, for protesting. And uh, we can expect that this regime, which is the highest executor of its citizens per capita in the world, um, to seek to execute more people uh, as a sort of a mechanism to try to scare people back into their homes and off the streets.
1: Mm. On the misinformation front, how damaging is it to have stuff that's not true being circulated so widely.
3: I think it is damaging because I guess it throws into question the actual legitimate facts, which are frightening enough in and of themselves. I mean, I really don't think there's a need to create lies or misinformation about the Iranian regime. The reality is scary and frightening enough. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I guess any sort of misinformation in that sense is a, is a negative thing, particularly shared by prominent individuals like Justin Trudeau. You know, you'd expect better of him, to be honest. Um, but at the end of the day, any attention that's being drawn to the brutality of the Iranian regime is also good for the Iranian people.
1: You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Dr Kylie Moore-Gilbert about the protests happening in Iran, some developments this week, seeing the first people, protesters, sentenced to death. Kylie, I've seen reports that people here in Australia are being targeted with surveillance by the Iranian regime. Is that true?
3: It is true. I've spoken to a number of Iranian Australians who've told me that when they go to protests in Sydney or Melbourne or Canberra, etc., there are individuals in the crowd who are monitoring them, who are taking pictures of them, and even family members of theirs back home in Iran have received threats due to their political activities here in Australia. Uh, even at uh, public events that I myself have participated in, there have been suspicious individuals at the back of the room monitoring. So we do have uh, people in Australia who've infiltrated the Iranian community and I don't think the Australian government's taking that threat seriously enough.
1: Wow, okay. And do you think that there's this battle here between protesters and the government in Iran to control the narrative um, overseas that it's just they're fighting this this war of the media really?
3: Definitely. Uh, We saw in the UK this week that um, there was a, an actual real live terror threat against a prominent Iranian dissident TV channel, Iranian, Iran International, broadcast out of London. And the, the journalists of that TV channel in London were put under 24-hour police protection in the UK because of threats from Iranian agents um, on their lives. So we know they're operating abroad and that they're very, very sensitive to coverage um, of the protests in Iran because, of course, that coverage gets broadcast back into Iran via satellite TV. TV and via the internet. So, um, you know, the Iranian regime is very sensitive to that and very worried that um, genuine, real free press uh, coverage of the situation is actually continuing to to spark further unrest within the country.
1: Kylie, you're an expert in Islamic studies. You've researched revolutions in the Middle East. Uh, We spoke to a journalist a few weeks ago who said, look, there have been big protests in the past in Iran. They've always been suppressed and not much has changed. What do you think? Is this... Is this the same is or is Iran heading towards some sort of revolution? What's your take?
3: It's definitely not the same as protests that we've seen in the past. The scale of it and the the length of time with which it's continued unabated, despite extreme brutality on the part of the regime is unprecedented. And what's also unprecedented is the swiftness with which these protests became about regime change. Within the first 24 hours of Mahsa Amini's uh, passing and the protest movement emerging, We had calls on the streets for this regime, the Islamic Republic, to go, which is unprecedented if you look at other uh, protest movements in the past. So this is a game changer. Whether it would lead to a revolution or not, we can only hope. Um, You know, what will happen in the coming months will probably determine that. But so far, the protesters are not showing any appetite whatsoever to go home, and they seem to actually be fueled further to take to the streets by the increasing brutality of the regime.
1: And just before you mentioned that you thought Australia wasn't really doing enough in terms of surveillance and things that are happening here yeah. in Australia. But more broadly, what do you think Australia needs to be doing?
3: Australia has actually done absolutely nothing whatsoever other than um, make a few empty condemnations. Uh, We have been lagging behind all of our Western allies. If you look at what Canada's doing, what the EU's doing, Germany, the US, they're taking real practical steps to sanction um, some of the members of the Iranian regime and some of the organizations like the morality police within Iran, like the Revolutionary Guard Corps, which are responsible for this brutal crackdown. We haven't sanctioned anybody. We haven't prescribed the Revolutionary Guard as a terror organisation, which is a step that Canada recently took. Um, We haven't taken steps to stem the flow of illicit funds or corrupt money into Australia or visas being issued to some of these regime supporters or sympathisers here in Australia. We've done nothing other than empty threats and and empty um, condemnations. So uh, the Iranian Australian community is very frustrated with the lack of action by our government and um, people don't really understand why such a lacklustre response has been forced. Coming from, from the foreign ministry and from the Albanese government here.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. Well, I appreciate your take on all of this, Dr. Kylie Moore Gilbert. Appreciate your time as always. Thank you very much for speaking with us on Hack.
3: Thanks, guys, for having me on. You're listening to Hack.
4: If I can survive this splendor in the mud, I can survive anything.
3: On Triple J. You
1: know, it's pretty hard to get excited about summer when we've been speaking lately about flood emergencies, COVID's big comeback. We've lived through so much over the past few years, it's understandable. You're not going to get your hopes up, especially when it comes to things like music festivals. A heap have already called it early and cancelled this year. Others on the east coast are ploughing on in the face of La Nina. So what's it going to take for our festivals to survive this summer after a string of bad luck? Our Tassie reporter April McLennan's been looking into it.
4: I've got people that have never been to music festivals before. There was two years of kids turning sixteen to eighteen that have never been to a music festival, so we've got that responsibility of these you know kids coming through losing their music festival virginity at our events and hope I don't know if it's just their virginity or their music festival virginity that's not my business but this is a really special time for a lot of people.
0: I want you to meet Jesse Higgs. He's the artistic director of Party in the Paddock. It's the biggest multi-day music festival in Tassie. It usually attracts around 10,000 people and some of the country's most popular artists. They've just announced that they're returning next year after calling the festival quits in 2020.
4: It's an exciting time for us to be stepping back out into the world. It's also a challenging time, you know, just after COVID. And with so much like environmental shift and and cultural upheaval, there's, there's a lot of things to be met and to be worked towards as a team.
0: And while we're out of lockdown and things seem to be returning to normal, Managing Director of the Australian Festival Association, Mitch Wilson, says COVID's had a lasting impact on event organisers. In fact, some festival organisers around the country say their costs have increased by like 20 to 30%.
5: That's... Everything from, yeah, transport, production costs, everything that you need to build a site, the services on site. I think just throughout the economy, we're seeing a whole bunch of staff shortages, which are then sort of being rolled on. I think, you know, cost of living impacts across the border, obviously
4: impacting businesses as well.
0: Jesse agrees that it's been a super tough time for the events industry worldwide.
4: With any industry, there's professionals that build up in that industry. But if there's nothing for them to do for two years, they Going to find another job. So, there definitely does appear to be a shortage of expertise in certain areas. Yeah, it is a real challenge. You know, it's like our industry was crushed for two years. We are rebuilding at the moment.
0: There's actually been a string of festivals that have been cancelled or forced to scale back due to COVID 19, rising costs, and the weather. Remember what happened at Splendor in the Grass?
6: Terrible.
0: It's like, yeah, you can't walk anywhere, it's just covered in shit. And, like, all your campsites are all drowning and, like, your tents are getting soaked. You
5: can see the conditions. Like, we're sitting in mud and it's just, yeah, it's... There's no answers either, very little communication.
4: If I can survive this splendour in the mud, I can survive anything.
0: While it was a bit soggy, they still got to throw a festival, unlike Strawberry Fields, Co-director of the event, Tara Medina, says they had to make the tough decision to can the festival that's usually based on the banks of the Murray River.
7: Being in the area for the last decade, we've definitely seen floods come through over the years, but normally they come and they pass very quickly. What we saw this year is sort of unprecedented high river levels and levels that have meant a lot of our venue is compromised for months, actually. So it's still underwater
0: now. While the weather hasn't dampened their commitment to putting on festivals, Tara says it made them worry about the future. The whole country is seeing
7: unprecedented weather. And based on what we've seen over the last four years, while we might be worried about flood right now, by next November, we could very well be worried about bushfires. No one really knows exactly what the weather is doing and where it's going to go, only that it's going to become more extreme.
0: And even if they do go ahead, the risk is even greater if something goes wrong
7: event cancellation insurance has just gotten not just more expensive, which is less of an issue, but really just harder to even secure. And it's it's a policy that insurers are less willing to, to issue these days. So if you can't get insurance for weather and you're in a summer period when weather can be quite turbulent, it's, it's a big question mark on, on what risk you're exposing yourself
0: to. The federal government's already allocated $22 million to establish a temporary live performance support fund. This will help live events like plays, concerts and festivals impacted by COVID-19. But Mitch says there needs to be more support in this space for events impacted by extreme weather.
5: I wouldn't be surprised if a number of my members and festival promoters start to reconsider whether or not it's worth trying again next year because You know, a lot of it is about taking risk and putting a lot of their own sort of money and effort into an event that may not happen given the experience we've seen this year. And when you're getting into, what's this, the third, fourth summer, that they may have not been able to hold their events. Yeah, there is a huge worry on our part that some festivals either, you know, won't survive or will choose not to come back. Hack
4: on Triple J.
1: Yeah, April McLennan there. We don't know how festival season is going to shape up. You know, on Triple J, though, we'll keep you updated. We'll be here. Someone on the text line, there might be more people left if the government actually offered support to the industry when it really needed it. Hack.
0: bubbing is when you snub somebody because you're paying more attention to your phone than the person you're with. Oh, using. I do it all
4: the
1: time. On Triple J, don't tell me you do not do this. If you're a person, With a phone, in the world, you've probably fubbed. Some people are worse than others, a lot worse. Fubbing is when you snub people, like usually your loved ones, to get on your phone, have a bit of a scroll. And while we know it can come across as heaps rude, especially when you're out at dinner or something like that, it's something that most of us do at some point. And some new research shows when you do pick up your phone, you're kind of hurting the people you love. Are you a serial fubber or is someone in your life constantly annoying you with their attachment to their phone? I want to know. 0439 Dr. Rachel Hoggs with Charles Sturt University's School of Psychology. She's been looking into this and she's with us now. Rachel, thanks for coming on Hack. Thank you for having me. Is there anyone more likely to be a fubber or are we all just going to do it eventually?
6: Yeah, look, the research suggests that it is most common among probably the 18 to 25 kind of age bracket, that group that are so, so used to having phones with them all the time. But as you said in your introduction, none of us are immune um, from doing this. We all do it. We've all been on the receiving end of it. And even though we've sometimes been on the receiving end of it and have been, you know, I've had lots of people talk about being offended or feeling as though they were devalued in that situation, we still, do it ourselves um, in, in, in lots of different circumstances. We're most likely to do it though when we're interacting with people who we're close to.
1: I wonder, do young people see it differently? Like uh, older people might think it's really, really rude. Is there any research that shows how young people see, um, see fubbing? Like is it something that they think is pretty normal?
6: Look, that's still a developing area of research, but there's some existing social psychology theories that we can apply here. And it's the same principle that we use to explain how we might understand our behavior when we're in traffic. If you're driving to work and you accidentally cut somebody off, you're very likely to make an external attribution for that. You're likely to say, oh, it's just having a bad day. I don't normally do this. It's not rude. In the same context, we're also likely to attribute other people's bad behaviour in traffic to who they are as a person. And the same principle probably applies here. So, you know, when you're using your phone, when you're in a social setting, you have access to information that other people don't and that is exactly what it is that you're doing on your phone. So you might justify it by saying, look, I was just checking the weather or I was checking to see when my Uber was getting here. So, you know, it's justified by that basis.
1: I've definitely used that line before so many times. (laughs) We've all been there. We've all been there. This (laughs) research has looked into the impact of fubbing on different people. What kind of impact does it have on a partner?
6: Look, we're seeing that the closest relationships, as I said before, where this is most likely to occur and also probably most likely to be forgiven. But there is definitely an effect on relationship quality. And that's something that we're researching at the moment. So we're still kind of trying to understand these effects. And I think it's also important to understand that this is, as you pointed out before, it's very ubiquitous and something to consider if this is affecting people you know, relationships, if you're listening to this and thinking, oh, I wonder how this is affecting my relationships. It is worth understanding and having a little bit of sympathy both towards yourself, but also towards other people. We've evolved to be social and what social media platforms have been able to do is co-opt the very same neural circuitry that pokey machines and and other spaces where we see addictive behaviors occurring are able to co-opt. So people even report feeling as though their phone is going off when it's not going off these kind of phantom vibrations we are incredibly attuned to the dopamine that we receive when we get notifications via our phone and if you are finding it difficult to not um you know have those moments where you're behaving inappropriately in a social context because you're fobbing people it's important to try to change that behavior but it's also important to understand that that is really just your brain at work. And we've got around 2 billion potential connections in our phone, um, which is far more than we evolved to have, but that is very alluring to our brains nonetheless. Oh
1: my goodness. That's so kind of scary to hear all of that. We've got some people wanting to know more information. JK on the Sunshine Coast says, I didn't even know this was a thing, but this was a major factor in my choice to end my relationship of seven Mm -hmm. years last January. So people are paying attention. Like, You're right. It has an impact. Somebody else says the word fubbing sounds like some kind of sex act on Urban Dictionary. You know what? You're not wrong there. That's exactly what I thought. Um, Dr. Rachel Hogg, what if you're annoyed by someone doing it? There's someone in your life that is doing it a lot. You don't want to break up with them Mm -hmm. or you can't break up because they're a family member or something. How do you address that?
6: Yeah, look, I think there's a couple of, a lot of people talk about withdrawing themselves from those circumstances, but I think that can become a little bit of a passive aggressive cycle. What, I think there's two things that are important. One is to try not to take it personally. It can be very hurtful and that's Justified, but this person is probably not realizing um, the impact their behaviour is having. So I think in close relationships, it's something to address. People do have increasingly kind of etiquette-based um, practices in parties. We might have jars where we put our phones and things like that. But in close relationships, the closer you are to somebody, the worse you're likely to behave in in their presence. So. In a sense, it's a sign of the trust that exists in your relationship if your partner's behaving badly around you because they they probably trust that you won't leave because of that, although that caller obviously did. <laughs> um, but there are opportunities to build closer relationships through conflict, and this is just another example of a conflict that can occur particularly in, in close intimate relationships.
1: Oh, so interesting. It's definitely resonating with so many of our listeners. Dr. Rachel Hogg from Charles State University, thank you so much for filling us in.
6: Not at all. Thank you.
1: I've got so many messages. Someone says, one of my mates is so bad at it. Sometimes he even rocks up and is using the phone from the moment he steps out of his car. It's become comical. He's so bad at it, but also it hurts.
0: Hack on Triple J.
4: And that's all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you next time.